Hey friends, welcome to the Her God Story podcast where you will always hear a good story to encourage and inspire you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Kiracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America and International, author and traveler on this journey with Jesus. I would love to hear from you. Let me know what you like about this podcast, how you first heard about it, who has been your favorite guest, and anything else you want me to know. Just send me an email at hergodstory at somebodycares.org. Francis Thompson was a 17th century British poet who wrote a famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. He was an opium addict in a day where it was sold as over-the-counter medicine, and he lived in poverty and poor health. But the unrelenting love of Jesus reached even him. The poem describes Thompson's flight from God and God's insistent pursuit of him. Here are a few phrases from that poem. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I hid from him under running laughter. I sped from the strong feet that followed after me. The poem ends with the pursued realizing that he was followed out of love, not judgment. And he receives that love. John Stott, a famous theologian who went to be with the Lord in 2011, wrote, My faith is due to Christ Jesus himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded lives. My guest, Allison Hill, has experienced the hound of heaven pursuing her and of realizing the love and freedom that come from complete surrender to Jesus, the lover of our souls. Once addicted to drugs, she found freedom and restoration in Christ. And years later, while working as a general manager for a car dealership in Pennsylvania, she also spent significant time ministering to those struggling with addiction. Allison is married, has two children, and now serves with her husband as part of the pastoral team at Bridge Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. There are so many facets to her story. I know God will encourage and speak to you as you listen. Welcome, Allison. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Allison, you grew up attending church, but like many of us, you wanted to do things your own way on your own terms, and your teenage rebellion led into something that had dire consequences. Share about your early life and what seemingly harmless thing nearly destroyed you. I grew up in church. My grandmother, my father's mom, um, she played the uh, piano in church. She taught Bible study at her house. Um, So my dad was, you know, just, he was filled with faith. Um, Everything was always like, let's pray about that. We we should pray. Anytime you would call my dad, he was the prayer warrior. Um, And so on Sunday, it was like, you know, we get up and we go to church. And so I, I grew up in that in my teenage years, Um, like I had two older brothers who, you know, they stopped coming, going to church. My dad didn't force them to go. And a lot of Sundays, it was just my dad and I that went to church. And then at some point, um, I stopped going. He didn't force us to go, but that's where he was going. You know, he, he didn't force Jesus on you, but like, you knew that's where he was going up until like a certain point. And, um, when I started in my teenage years, what I started doing Um, you know, I started experimenting and I thought I was partying and being social and, um, I didn't know that, you know, I was, I didn't know I was a drug addict. I thought I was doing what everybody was doing. I thought I was just, you know, having a fun time. And I thought, um, 
I didn't really think much of it. And so it started out with, um, you know, like smoking weed and drinking alcohol. And then I found these little things that took me outside of me. And I thought, like, what a fun time I was just having. You know, I just, I truly thought that. Um, and it, it just started out so little. And then um, eventually what happened um, in our area, so we had a lot of doctors who were prescribing opioids. So they were prescribing Oxycontin to people. And it was huge where I was at. I quickly realized you know, not only could I get involved in that, but I can also get stuff and have it all the time. And um, again, I thought I was just having a good time. And when I say that too, just to, to clarify, I started using drugs at the age of 13. So using drugs and alcohol at the age of 13, I didn't just start with opiates, but we got there. Um, and I wouldn't say I was in full-blown addiction for a few years after that, but I was using pretty heavily um, and I was doing everything. So ecstasy and acid, I mean, you name it, I was trying it. And again, I just thought like, I'm just partying and having just a fun time and I'm young. And um, I didn't realize all the consequences that were going to come down the pipe later on. I didn't realize. Opioid and drug addiction happens a whole lot faster than people realize. And uh, as a teenager, you were prescribed these opioids by underhanded doctors. I mean, these were doctors who were prescribing it without, you know, beyond what people needed. And you had no idea that it would lead to long-term addiction. It was several years before the effects of those prescriptions were really understood by the public, let alone you. And you went through your high school and college years really as a functioning addict. But when the doctors were arrested and the legal source ended things took a real turn for the worse. So what did you do and where did you turn? You know, now what's crazy is there's, there's movies about it, like the big pharma company. There's all of these movies. And so, and there's documentaries about it. And so, and I have watched them like now having, um, you know, significant clean time. Stuff. I've watched them and then I'm like, oh, that's how that was going on. Oh, that's how that was happening. And, it, and it's so real because I actually experienced it um, and lived it. And so, like I specifically remember like the doctors being there and there was the lines outside the building because you would just go and you'd pay your cash and they'd give you your prescriptions and everybody was just doing that. Um, and so I was able to be a functioning addict. I didn't, I still didn't know that I even had an issue. I didn't know that I had a problem um, because I never ran out of drugs. So it was never a problem for me. And um, like, I remember in college, like my roommates and, and then would say to me, like, how are you going to like, because I would get up and, um, at this point I wasn't taking pills like by mouth, I was breaking them down. Right. And so, and that was another thing that, um, with Oxycontin that when, when the, the drug world learned that you could take that time release coding off, that's how it, it went into this full fledged addiction for a lot of people and, and the epidemic and the pandemic, all these things started happening. Um, but I remember my roommates specifically asking me, like, you're going to take, now you're going to go to class because you just took that. Like, how are you going to go to class? And my mindset was like, how are you not going to take something and go to class? Because I, if I didn't have it, I couldn't function, but I was fully functioning um, because I was dependent on it. So I needed it in order to function. 
you know, and, and because it was, you know, with a doctor, I thought that was okay. And then we slowly started, doctors would get arrested and then other ones would come from like Florida or here and this, it would start a new cycle of it and then they would get arrested and then slowly it became very difficult. You couldn't get them. And so for me, it was street drugs. Now I have to go to the streets because I don't know where else to, to get this. And so, you know, that's, it, it was like a transition, but still my mind would say that like, well, it's okay because like, you know, it's, it's, it's still your medicine or it's still your medication and you're just functioning off of it. It was a long process because that, that was 19 years from the age of 13. You know, it was 19 years of me um, battling this because I, it was such a grip on me. It was such a grip and I had such a hard time even accepting it in the beginning when it was like, you're an addict. I refused to even admit that. I stayed in denial for a very long time that I was even an addict. You know, we say denial stands for don't even notice I am lying. And I, I didn't know. I mean, everybody else knew around me that I was an addict except for me. I was like the last person to find out. I just always thought like, this is like somebody that's just dirty that lives by the dumpster. Like this was just my perception, not somebody that was like prescribed medication that was taking medication that now the doctors can't give me it. Like I just couldn't accept it. And so it kept me out there even longer. In your early twenties, um, when you're partying and doing the drugs, uh, you got pregnant, which really the Lord used for good in many ways. Can you explain? When I found out that I was pregnant, so I was 20, everything inside of me was like, you, you have to get off of, off of these pills. Like you, you have to, you can't do this anymore. And, and smoking cigarettes. I mean, all of these things I was very heavily like convicted of, I needed to do this. And so I shared it with my doctor. Um, and I let him know that, Hey, I am using, you know, 10 oxy 80s a day. And he said, if you continue that, you will lose that baby. I mean, the, they just, that baby cannot withstand that type of medication. You, you can't do that. I look back on it now and I'm very aware, but at the time I didn't know it. So I went home and I, you know, cried about it because I was like, I don't know how I'm just going to stop taking these. You know, withdrawal is a very real um, thing. And when you're on that much, I mean, it's severe. I just, every day I cut everything in half every single day. Like I, I didn't just go home and just, I just stopped, but it did take me um, a few days. I actually think that it took me 10 days to get completely off of it. But I like went from 10 to five down to like two down to one. And then I was cutting the one into pieces because I was sick, but it wasn't that terrible. But I, I just remember thinking like, you know, like for this baby, like I'll do this for this baby. And I often now when I look back at it, like I know that God did that because God was like, I'm going to give you this blessing and this is going to help save your life, you know? Um, and I wish I could be the end of the story where I'm like, and then I just stopped using forever. But um, so I, I did that and I, I stopped in that time. And um, then I ended up almost having a miscarriage. And um, when I had went to the emergency room, they were pretty certain that I had had a miscarriage. And it was from the actual withdrawal of the, the opioids. Um, like the, the baby just couldn't withstand all of this, right? And so it was from the actual withdrawal. And so they were pretty certain. And then we went in and they said, you know, like I just, 
specifically remember like they came out and their faces were just very like and they were saying you know we just don't understand to be honest with you everything inside of you is like at like you should have lost that baby we don't know what that baby's holding on by but somehow some way you still have that baby and that baby is still living inside of you i know that it was god right i know at the time i still didn't know that i, I still wasn't um completely certain of, of where you know everything i have now but they said that they were just amazed i had to go on to now mind you because i was still in college i had to get like a handicap pass because they wanted me on a complete bed rest and i was like well i i can't you know i'm finishing up at school i don't want to like fail out um, I wasn't allowed to pick up books. I wasn't allowed to carry anything. So I had to handicap park at all, all of my classes. So that all I had to do was like walk right in there and walk right back out. Through God's grace, you know, he, he saved that baby. <laughs> he saved my, my son. He gave me that, that gift. And um, now when I look back, I'm like, that was the miracle. You know, those doctors and stuff, they must have not knew either that it was a miracle because they just kept saying to me, we don't understand at all. You should have lost this there's just no way. So here you had a baby. You're a sober single mom looking for forward to caring for your son. You were looking forward to moving on with your life. And then the unthinkable happened. What was it? The doctor, after I delivered my son, um, they prescribed me pain medication. You know, when I look back on it now, it's totally bizarre. Um, but at the time, it seemed normal. And at the time, I also think that that is what was going on in the world. And I also see how heavily removed society was from the opioids stuff that was starting to, you know, blow out of proportion um, and just uneducated. So the, the doctor being uneducated, me coming and saying, hey, I'm abusing this, you know, pain medication now would be a red flag that, hey, she doesn't get pain medication for anything because she abuses it. But at the time, it was like, okay, well, you should stop taking it, you know. It, and it also at that time, it was never brought up to me to like, maybe you should attend a twenty-step fellowship. Maybe you should go try to get treatment or help. None of that was ever um, brought up back then. Um, and my son's nineteen, so this was, you know, twenty years ago. I had the baby, and then I was prescribed the medication, and so I didn't know any better, and I was taking it at home just like normal, and my addiction just came back right from square one. You got to a point with this addiction that you couldn't care for your son anymore. And your, your parents actually raised him for uh, multiple years. Yes. Even in those years that when you were struggling with addiction, you were in and out of rehab, God was still pursuing you, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> share a few examples, share a few examples of how God pursued and protected and showed his love for you. Even then. I often like will tell people that, um, you don't have to be in a place of like, like this beautiful place for like, you know, God to like reach down and say like, I'm here and I have you covered. I still don't deserve it. But then I was in full-fledged addiction and literally like working with the enemy at, at all costs. You know, like I have specific incidences where like God just literally showed up one particular instance I was in my car and I was driving and so um, I was actually counting out money because I was going to go buy drugs I was driving with my knee because I was using my hands to count my money I was missing ten dollars and so 
you know, that was my focus. It wasn't that I'm driving. It was like, I'm missing this $10. Where is it? And I'm frantically looking and um, I look up and I had missed a bend. And so when I looked up, I knew that I was going to go like off road. So I hurried up and swerved my wheel, which then put me in the other lane, which now I was going to hit a guy head on. Um, and so I swerved back. And so when I swerved back, I like literally flew off this cliff. And in the moment, um, it everything went completely slow motion. And I remember I said two things in that moment of like being airborne. I could see the tops of trees below me. Um, and I'm just like gliding through the air. And I said, Dear God, I wish I had my seatbelt on. I specifically remember like saying that. And and it was like, like I said, in slow motion, I yell out like, dear God, I wish I had my seatbelt on. Um, and then the other thing I said was, I wonder how big this drop off is going to be because I'm just floating through the air. And so when my car hit, it hit so forceful and I didn't have on my seatbelt, my head went through the windshield and it knocked me completely unconscious. When I came to, I was at the bottom of the cliff and um, I was pinned in between like trees and all of the airbags in my car had came out and all of the, the wind, windows and windshield, everything was smashed. And when I woke up, I actually thought that my car was on fire because um, when the airbags come out, it looks smoky because there's this powder in them. Um, and I, like I said, I thought the car was on fire. And so I panicked and I went to open up my door and I couldn't get out because I was pinned in there. Um, I pulled myself out of the passenger door, out of the passenger window that was broken. I laid there on the ground. I was like, you know, in and out of consciousness. And I heard this man yelling and he's, and he's yelling and I could see him coming over the cliff. Every time I'm like in and out, he's getting closer to me and closer to me as he's running down this cliff that I came down. And he yells out, he's like, you know, is anybody dead? And I said, no, it's just me. And then the next thing, the very next thing he said, he said, do you believe in angels? And I said, yeah. And he said, good, good. There was an angel on your shoulder that steered your car through all of the trees when you hit the ground. And I looked back and I could see that my car had like zigzagged because it's like a wooded, like forested area. So I could see where my car had zigzagged through all of these trees to not hit these trees head on. You know, at the time I just said, okay, now he's down there with me and I say to him, sir, can you find me my cigarettes? And he's like, are you serious? And I said, yeah. Um, I said, you see that cliff I just came over? I'm dead serious. And he goes, okay, well, I don't smoke, but uh, when I find him, I might need one. I said, you can have the whole pack. Just let me get one. And he gave it to me, right? He found them. And then I, and then he said something about the money because money was everywhere, right? Because I was counting that money and I was holding it when I went off that cliff and it had a death grip on it, that money. I said, oh yeah, I need that money. And he gave it to me, right? And I had the money. So I had my cigarette, my money. The next thing when I'm, I'm waking up again, here come the fire trucks and the firemen and they're they're trying to come over the, the cliff and they have this basket thing that they're trying to strap me to and you know it's a lot of commotion and I I asked them I said you know where's the man at that that was down here and they're like what man and I'm like the man that came down here and you know he talked to me and he calmed me down and and they're just like there's no man and I'm like oh no he was down here gave me my cigarettes my money and we talked and and they were like ma'am nobody could get down here to you like absolutely nobody 
And I remember telling my dad when I was in the hospital, um, because, you know, my parents come to the hospital and I told him this story and, you know, he was just like, that's God. Like, that's, that's your thing. Because he said, what did he look like? And I said, I have no idea. I don't know now that you asked me. My dad would clarify things for me. And so sorry, because I wouldn't have known. I would have just continued to say, like, there was a man and they just didn't see him. But my dad was very, that was, that was your angel. Like, he, he came to you, like, he, you know, and he told you that somebody, like, an angel steered your car, like, and he was checking to make sure you believed in angels before he came down to talk to you. That's one incident. And that's when I was literally living an entire life of complete disaster, you know. Um, and God still was like, I'm still going to save that one. I'm still going to give her grace and mercy. Um, and I literally, you know, when people will say they don't deserve it, like I so didn't deserve in those times, especially. So God was pursuing you. I'm sure your father was praying for the Lord to protect you and watch over you during that time. And that's an amazing story. And I, uh, as you said, I'm sure you've got more. And I always will tell people that too, like encourage people, like keep praying, keep praying for your family members because, you know, I always say like, God didn't even answer my prayer because I wasn't praying for myself. I didn't even want it anymore. I just wanted to die. Like that's where I was at, at the end of the road. Like I, I wanted to die. God was answering my dad's prayer. My dad was the one that was praying for me. I wasn't even praying for myself. I didn't even want it. I didn't want no parts of it. My dad was faithful in praying. And I always tell people that, like, you know, if you're praying for family members, especially ones in addiction, just keep praying. Yeah. So, Allison, what brought you to the point of surrendering your life to Jesus? And how did you finally escape that terrible cycle of addiction? I had checked into rehab. I have been to jail. Um, there was a lot, um, and, it, and it was just a vicious cycle for years. I didn't go and check in to rehab one time and then quit using. Um, I It was just a vicious cycle. The last time that I checked in as a patient was on November 29th of 2014. That was the day that I checked in. On November 30th of 2014 is my clean date because I checked in on drugs and I woke up with none. While I was in there, I had phoned home to my um, parents' house. And again, they were raising my son at the time. He was 10 years old. I called and my brother had answered the phone and he was telling me that my dad, um, they had just found cancer and he needed to have surgery and all of these things. I was immediately filled up with fear. I remember thinking, who was going to take care of my son? Like, it wasn't about me. It was like about my son again. Like, a lot of things came back to my son. And also, too, something that God worked that I often am like, wow. My son got baptized on November 30th of 2014, right? And that's my clean date. And so I often look at that like, you know, I, I cried about it selfishly because I couldn't be there. Um, but I am also always like, I wouldn't have been a part of it anyway, because I was incapable of taking care of myself or a kid or functioning at this time again. So my dad took my son and I missed that, but there's that connection that God always lines things up in my life with my son. I found out my dad had cancer. I'm crying because I'm thinking who's going to take care of my kid now. And I went up in my room in rehab 
I literally just hit the floor on my knees. I remember it so specifically, and it was on December 3rd of 2014, and I just cried out, like, God, if you're so real, and you're just so great, and you're just so wonderful, then like, you're gonna have to save me, and you're gonna have to do something with me, because like, I can't do it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but like, if you can do something with me, then here I am. I'm telling you and I'm giving you permission because like I can't do this any longer. And I and I get so emotional because like he really listened and he really was like, okay, like this is what I needed from you. This is what I've been waiting for, for you to like invite me in. You know, it wasn't this beautiful thing. Like I was crying and I was yelling and I was, but I was on the floor and I meant everything that came out of my mouth. And I was just like, you know, God, if you can use me, then do it. Like, this is the time, like, I need help. And I, and I don't know you like that, but like, you know, everybody says that you can do it. And so like, I'm giving you permission to like, just do it, do it with me. When I tell you, like, and we talk about like, God is immediate. He is so immediate because like, he started a shift in me that happened so quickly. Things were happening. Um, he was in control of it and I didn't even really have a say so, you know, like I'll always say that God doesn't need my permission, but he would like my cooperation. And so once I was like in tune and saying like, I'll do whatever. And he was like, okay, then we're going to have you do whatever. He just started like a, a chain of events um, in my life that, you know, got me to where I'm at now. I, in that, time that I was there in the rehab specifically like God spoke and so I I hear things and have heard things from God on a very auditory level for a long time even when I was in my active addiction he he had told me to go down to our aftercare office and let them know that I will do whatever you guys want when I went down there I specifically remember saying it but not knowing why I said it and not knowing like why I was down there saying it because it was like he put it in motion inside of me and I just did it. So the Lord brought some people alongside of you uh, to help you uh, grow in your faith and your whole life started changing for the better. God provided you a job, a faith community that surrounded you, good friends, hope for the future. Share some of those things that God restored in your life. I told them and they were shocked because they knew me so well in there. Um, that they knew that I didn't usually follow up and do what I was supposed to. Um, I had a track record for that. And so they were like, okay, you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And they were like, okay, we're going to send you immediately. Thank God that um, the woman who ran the aftercare, you know, she was a believer and she loved the Lord and she would tell you about Jesus um, in her own way. And so she was like, you know, we're going to send you to a halfway house. And I was like, I don't want to go to a halfway house. And she was like, we're well, going to go. And something in me said, okay. You know, and I like walked out and I remember being like, why did I do that? I don't want to go to a halfway house. And, and I, and it was like, I was like two different people, but the Lord was telling me to do something and I was doing it. And, and then I'd be like, why did I do that? But I told him to use me and he just was like doing it. Right. Um, and I specific, she, she went and she bought me this Jesus calling book. Cause I didn't have money. Like when I was in rehab and, um, she bought it for me and she said, like, I want you to have this. And I thought it was like, so precious that like, she gave me this daily devotional book. Um, and it was about Jesus. And so 
every day I read that and that started my like actual relationship with the Lord. It started me like where I needed to be and that that daily devotional book um, every day spoke directly to me where I know that God told her to get me that book and her obedience, she got it for me. You know, and she, she, she was very like, we're not allowed to give gifts here, but I just, I have to give you this book, you know? And I'm like, okay. And so, but I am often like her obedience to give me that book. She, she knows, cause I still talk to her to this day. We're still, we still talk. Um, but she knows that like that book saved me because I would be going through something and I would wake up and I'd be in something and I would read that book. And it was like, the Lord was sitting on my bed saying stuff to me directly, exactly what I was going through, exactly what I needed to hear. And I felt like, okay, well, he's saying I have to stay and I have to do this. And, you know, he's saying he hears me and he knows this thing. And it was everything, every day, it was so on point that like, it kept me grounded and kept me in position and kept me pursuing. The one morning in the halfway house when I got up, uh, God said very specifically to me, I'm going to send some people for you and you need to go with them. You know, and I'm very, who, what people, what will they look like? How am I going to know it's them? Like, what day will they be here? What time? You know, and he doesn't answer that. And so I'm like, hello? Um, and I get no response. And I'm like, okay. So um, a couple of days later, I think it was, these ladies came uh, from church. As soon as they walked in the door, I just knew, like, I, like it was like, these are the ones. And I said, okay. And I didn't even know what they were doing there. So lo and behold, they came and they did a Bible study. And um, then they invited us all to go to church. And so I took the invite because I knew that that's where God wanted me to go with, with them. They picked me up for Bible study every Sunday. They took me to church every single Sunday. And those women and i still talk to them today too they showed me the love of jesus like they didn't judge me they weren't like well you know you don't really have nice clothes so you can't really come with us or you know you're you're just so rough around the edges um you know we're not we don't want to bring you to church they just really showed me like the love of jesus um at a time when i needed that more than anything and they just they poured into me and they, um, but, and they wanted to, you know, it wasn't like, oh, like they wanted to, and they would get excited with me. Um, and I would share good news with them and they were like, get very excited for things with me. Like they knew where they were going and they came in and they were the light and they were the love and they showed it. And, um, in that situation with that church, um, the owner, of the one car, car dealership came in and I'm like, I know him, like I've seen him on commercials and the one lady says, that's my son-in-law. And I'm like, what? I need a job with him. Um, and so I got with him and he gave me a job and um, I started to just learn that like, you know, like new routines and new habits and new patterns for my life. Like I started waking up and praying because um, I got with some women that told me every morning you need to wake up and you need to pray. And I would say, well, what am I going to say? Like, what am I praying? And they'd say, like, how about if you just start small? You know, so I always tell people, if you don't know how to pray, just you could say anything you want, but just start small, you know? So my prayer in the morning was like, good morning, God. Thanks for waking me up. Amen. You know, that was literally, I didn't know what else to say or do. Oh, please keep me clean today. I always say that. 
And I always encourage people that, but like, if you don't know the words, it's okay. Like he knows your heart, just get down on your knees and say what comes out. And it could be ugly and it can, it can be not sound right. Um, and it could be this short, but it doesn't matter. Just do it. And then it started a routine and a habit in my life of waking up, praying, going to bed, praying. Then I was told like pray in between, you know, and then I was like, okay. And so it just started little habits in my life of getting in touch with the Lord and starting to develop a relationship with him and um, going to church. You know, I got back in the routine of like, we go to church and we go to Bible study. And when they have a women's conference, you show up to it. Then women, they would buy tickets to the women's conference. And for me, like they were like, I didn't know at the time, like they were sowing their seed, but I didn't know that. Like, I was like, they bought a ticket for me. Like they spent, you know, 80 bucks on a ticket for me to go somewhere. Like I just couldn't believe somebody would do that. I met the owner of the car dealership and I got a job there. And um, I worked my way up in that company because I started at the very bottom. But like, you know, God was faithful and God put me in positions to, to do things. And even there, um, I was always able to share my faith because everybody knew one thing that God provided was, you know, you're not going to hide your story because this is a testimony that I've given you to like go back and get people out of the same fire that you walked through. So you're not going to ever have to hide it because even at that job and even with all of my promotions um, and at the end, I was the general sales manager running an entire dealership. I, everybody knew my story. And I, and, and I would be in there with praise and worship music on and the, the younger kids that we'd hire, they knew like, go to Allie if you have a problem because, you know, she'll get you with some type of scripture or verse or she'll pray with you. And, and they allowed me to do it is because they knew that's who I was. They knew whenever I got there, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing. A few years later, after you're working, your life kind of settled, you're in your new routine and you started reaching out to others to help them out of the the addiction. And then you met your husband, which is a story all into itself. Tell us about that. I started praying my, you know, God, I, I really, I want to be a wife and I want to have a family. And I got with some of the um, women that, um, you know, were in my circle. And I was told like, we'll start acting like a wife and start, you know, getting more time in with the Lord. And, um, you know, when he says you're, you're ready, um, he'll give it to you. I had like specific things like God told me to like, okay, we'll make a list of the things that you're looking for in a husband. Right. And I had this extensive list of things I would pray into it. And um, <laughs> God said to me um, very clearly, and I still have this screenshot of the text because I texted my friend and because I said, God said that he is going to give me my husband in 2019. And she said, okay, you know, and I knew that God was going to give me my husband in 2019. And so, you know, January 1st, 2019, I got all ready because I knew I was going to meet my husband and I didn't. And I was like, God, you know what you said, you know, and, and it was like, yeah, I didn't tell you January 1st. I gave you like a year. Right. And so I learned like some patience and stuff. Um, and I learned it like I had to keep praying and pressing in and I had to stay connected with God and I couldn't get distracted. And so, um, I didn't meet my husband until June of 2019, but, um, whenever, when I did meet him, we, um, I actually was going to an NA meeting with my friend. He was speaking there. 
I typically don't go to that meeting. I was at the gym working out and he had called me and he needed a support group member to come with him. So I said, oh, you know, I guess I'll go. I'm like in my gym clothes. I look a mess, but whatever, it's about you. So I'll come so you could share your experience, strength and hope. So I go with him to this meeting um, and it was actually over the state line. So in Ohio, and we lived in Pennsylvania. I see this guy and I immediately know this is my husband. I, I, I know everything in me. I know this is my husband. He offers to, he's eating these little candies and he offers to like throw me one. And I said, no, because I don't eat sugar. And so he throws it to me anyway. And I like moved and um, it hit the wall and it, you know, broke and everybody turned around and looked and we were like, and so after I was talking to him, you know, he had just gotten out of prison. He had nine months clean and he was in a um, facility that's like a step between prison and actually releasing from prison. So you have some freedoms, but you're basically locked up. He asked for my number and whatever, and he asked if he could go on a date. And I said, well, what church do you go to? And he's like, well, I don't go to church because I just got out of prison. And I said, well, I'll pick you up on Sunday to go to church and you can come to my church. Well, he couldn't come to my church because he couldn't cross the state line at my church in Pennsylvania. So I said, I'll, I'll help you find a church over here in Ohio. And so that's how we started dating. I'd pick him up on Sundays and we would go to different churches. When I left there, I told my friends, that's my husband. And they said, Allie, that is not your husband. That man was just in prison. And I was like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm certain that's my husband. And when he left there, he was telling his friends, that's my wife. You know, that's, that's my wife. I'm going to marry her. Um, I already know it. You know, I made a deal with God. He could say, it's so funny when he tells it. I made a deal with God that I'd either meet my wife in church or in a gym. I met her in the church basement in her gym clothes. And she wants to go on a date to church. Like he was like, you know, that's my wife. He always say, I don't know if God agreed with me or what, but that was the agreement I made. Two weeks after we met, he did go get my name tattooed on his ring finger. We met in June. We were engaged in August and we got married in December of 2019. And I always say that God told me I would have my husband in 2019. And I walked out of 2019 with my husband. I didn't get a boyfriend. I didn't get a fiance. I got a husband because that's what God told me it was going to, it was. Yeah. And just clarifying a couple things. He had gotten saved in prison. He was a believer and he was pursuing the Lord. You were going to a Narcotics Anonymous meeting, which is where you met him, in case people don't know what NA is. So you didn't just pick up, you know, the first guy out of prison you met. He was a believer pursuing the Lord. He had been five years of active addiction um, and then was in prison for the last nine months right before he had actually went to prison um, in jail though. Um, he had given his life to the Lord. So, um, and a very similar experience to mine, just on your knees, crying out to the Lord. Um, and he gave his life to the Lord um, and then was in an active pursuit as well. So we both met each other at, you know, when we say God's timing, if I would have met him at a different time, um, it wouldn't have worked out. You know, if I would have been pursuing Jesus and he wasn't, or um, we would have met in active addiction, none of it would be what it is, but it's always God's timing. So you got married and things really had never been better in your life. You were experiencing the blessing of God. And uh, so just share a little bit about 
those first few years of marriage and how God was really building you both up and preparing you for what he had in store for you? We started a ministry, um, Even Now Ministries, and we were um, traveling and it was really, really good. Like we were traveling around um, on the weekends. We were sharing you know, sharing the gospel, we were getting to see things um, outside of, because I always had said, you know, I'd like to like travel because I've never really been anywhere because I was on drugs for 19 years of my life. I didn't go nowhere. It was fun. And also at the same time, I had switched churches. So what happened was um, during the time when I was helping Jed find a church, we walked into um, what became our home church. We walked in we ended up, I, we walked out and I was sobbing, crying. And <laughs> Jeff is like, what, you didn't like it there? And I was like, no, I loved it. And I said, this is my home. And he was like, oh, wow. He's like, this is my home. <laughs> like, this is mine too. Like, I just, like, we just knew we were called to be in that church. And um, I cried because those ladies that brought me to church, um, that that was my church family and I was still going with them and I wasn't looking for a church and I didn't, you know, I wasn't looking for a church. I was trying to help him find a church. Um, but, you know, God told me to move and so um, like shift. And so I did and great things happened. I mean, um, my husband got on staff there. So he first got um, as a licensed minister. So he did that first and then um, he got on staff there, was the on-staff evangelist and the outreach director. Um, and we just, like, we started a recovery ministry there. And when you've just been through, literally, like, you've, like, walked through um, just the darkness, when you can, like, bring other people out of that, it's and like into like God's love, it's just like the most amazing thing. And, and that's like what we wanted to do. So we started the, the recovery ministry. Um, we've seen so many salvations, baptisms. I mean, it was just amazing. And then um, getting to travel and go to different churches and just preach and pray with people, you know, has all been so amazing. And um we were well prepared to just stay doing that. <laughs> we were totally fine. Um, I was still working. So um, I was still the general sales manager. They were allowing me to um, take the, those the time off during the weekends that we needed to travel and stuff. Um, we had our family right there close by that, you know, we couldn't always bring our um, son, our little son. He's three now. He just turned three, but we couldn't always bring him, but we had family that would keep him for us. Um, we were traveling. It was fun. It was exciting. And so, yeah, I was like, then we moved into this house that was our dream home and what we thought would be our forever home. Um, my brother's twin brother bought the house next door to us. So they lived literally next door to us. We were excited. <laughs> and you also were being really discipled in your faith so that you could minister to others, weren't you? Yeah. And and we um, oftentimes, like, what we didn't know, um, you know, like, when God told, told me that, like, to, to move churches, because, like, you know, my husband and I need to be at the same church, right? This is, like, for us. 
we wanted to like be together and worship together and, and chase the Lord together. And so um, we moved churches and lead pastor there really, really poured into him. And um, like, and he allowed us to do things because he saw things in us that we didn't even know was there. <laughs> You know, like, and when he allowed us to do that um, recovery ministry, like, he was like, okay, you guys want to start a recovery ministry? And we were like, okay. And he was like, all right, so you're going to start on this day. And we're like, start what? You know, we were like, what do you say? And he was one of those, like, just do it. Let's just go. You just got to take off. You just got to, you know, like, let's, you just got to step in. You just got to do it. Um, And so we were just blessed that we had that all around us from everybody, really. Um, pouring into us and pressing us to do more and pursuing us to do it. So it seemed like you were in really your sweet spot, but uh, the story doesn't end there. God has something more for you, and I'm sure he still does. But tell us the process of your recent transition uh, and what he's doing with you now. God had given me a clear that I needed to step down from my position at my job. And I was like, well, how will we pay our bills? How will we do this? And I told my husband and my husband is very, okay, well, if God said that, you know, then you need to do that. And so that was in June uh, that he had spoke that to me. I battled with it until August and it was very heavy on me because he, it wasn't like I just heard him say it and then he just left it alone. It was like he said it and I knew it and I was convicted of it, but my own fear wouldn't let me do it. Every day I was waking up almost like chained down because I knew that I wasn't walking in what God said to do. I knew it, but my own flesh fear of, you know, how will we pay this was outweighing what God told me to do at my breaking point. I, in August, I stepped down from the position. I went down to just working three days instead of doing the 50 hours. And our ministry literally took off. And so I was needed to go with my husband because instead of just going on Saturday and Sunday, uh, it was, you know, a Tuesday thing and a Thursday and a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday. And we were getting booked for full weekends and we were getting booked during the week. Now we're traveling and doing all these things, which was so exciting because uh, I love traveling and getting to see stuff. And so we had a beautiful home that was what I believed to be at the time, my forever home. (laughs) You know, my husband and I always said, like, we're always going to have like our home and we're going to raise the family there because we traveled a lot when we were kids and we didn't want to do that with our kids. We wanted to have like stability. We got this phone call and offered to come here to Virginia in Chesapeake, take over one of the campuses and um, be the campus pastor. And he said, okay, thank you. And he said that he knew that I was going to say absolutely not. And so when he called me, I had, since the Lord had already told me that we should be praying for where he wanted us to plant our feet. Uh, God spoke that very clearly to me. I had told my husband that a couple weeks before we had that phone call. And when he called me, I immediately was like, okay, let's sell the house. I'll get the house up. I'll call the realtor. We need to start packing. We need to find somewhere to go over there. And he was like, who is this? Where's my wife? 
And I said, you know, this is like the move, right? That God's talking about. And then the technical me came out and was like, or is this the right move? Wait, this might be why God told us this. We need to pray about it. And it was hard for us. And, and we prayed and, and we, we went back and forth. And what we were told by one of our mentors, um, she said, you need to follow God's peace. And we held that very close to us. She said, you go with the peace of God. Everything about the move was so easy. When I was going to a women's conference a couple weeks before we were coming down to actually check out the church. So we're at the women's conference and there was a song on and God spoke very clearly to me that we were going to come to Virginia. Um, but he also said, um, Holy Spirit said, you know, I will tell your husband, meaning like, this isn't for you to tell him, like I will tell him. So, and I always write everything down when I hear it. And so I went down to the altar and I was just, really, I was just crying at the altar because, you know, the decision had been made at that point. And I also knew that um, Holy Spirit was going to let my husband know. And so we were going to be in agreement. It just felt like a, like a relief, but also I was like, so sad that we were going to leave our family and leave everything that we knew and everything that we were comfortable in. And, um, when I came walking back, my friend Cindy was just standing at my seat and she said, I got up to tell you that Holy Spirit told me that you, I have to let you guys go, that you guys are going. And I started crying because I said, well, Holy Spirit told you at the exact time that Holy Spirit told me, because we both stood up simultaneously at the exact same time. And I stood up when I heard it and she stood up when she heard it. Um, and so it was like another confirmation that I knew uh, that we were coming to Virginia Beach. And then when we did come, when we did get into church, you know, Holy Spirit definitely told us welcome home. And that's when it was confirmed to my husband because, you know, he started, you know, a little cry and he came over to me and he's like, baby, we're home. And I said, yeah, I already knew. And I showed him. Um, in my notes where I had already written down what happened at the women's conference for even more confirmation. So, uh, and now we're here, girl. <laughs> yeah. So Allison, now you're here and you're still listening to the Holy Spirit. What is he saying to you personally in this season? So right now I am in a season of bold obedience. Um, I had been trying to figure out what my, you know, my, my word and, um, you know, stuff was and, and what God wanted me to do. And I had, um, I made a post actually maybe about a week and a half ago when I, um, when the Lord really spoke it to me that, um, you know, boldly means to take risk. So taking risk in obedience, confidently walking in obedience, remaining courageous when you walk in obedience and have a strong obedience that others can actually see that's being bold. And then obedience is hearing God's word and acting accordingly. And so I put it all together and I had acting immediately when it is spoken. When I feel the shift, I comply, no matter what it looks like or what it feels like to me. I'm a doer of the Lord's work and call and others will know Jesus in me. Well, Allison, as we close, would you share about a woman of the Bible who's in, whose story has inspired or encouraged or taught you something? I always will go back to um, in, in Mark 5 when we talk about the sick woman and how it'll say she had the issue of uh, bleeding 
for 12 years. I relate because I say, you know, I had issues. It was longer than 12 years. Mine was 19, but she had, she was bleeding for 12 years and they couldn't find a cure and the doctors, you know, there was just nothing. And Jesus is the ultimate healer. And that is like literally me, right? So after 19 years and I couldn't stop using drugs and there was just no cure. The only thing like I always just had inside of me this this void and the only thing that fit perfectly into the void was Jesus. I tried to stuff things from the world and, and try to put all these things in there and I just kept making the hole bigger and just making the hole bigger and then finally realizing that Jesus is the only thing that's going to fit in the, the hole. That's the only thing. And that's the only thing that's going to um, fix it. And then it, it talks about how she knew she had to get there. And she, if she could just touch his cloak, she just believed that with everything in her that like, if I just get there and, and touch this person, um, that is just like, I want to have that faith at all times. Like, I just want to walk in that at all times. I'm always reminding myself, remember, she was an outcast, right? I was an outcast. Nobody wanted me. Nobody wanted nothing to do with me. I didn't even want nothing to do with myself anymore. I was sick and tired of myself. Um, and she, she was an outcast and she went anyway. And then, you know, and he was on his way to do something else. And when she touched him and he stopped and you know, she just, she had a faith that just stopped him dead in his tracks. And so I say that all the time to my husband, like, I want to have a faith that stops Jesus in his track. And then, you know, the beautiful part of the story, which is my story is, you know, she went from this outcast and um, he went from this man that just performs miracles, right? And I heard about Jesus, everybody else. You know, and, and I just didn't know him on my own personal level. And he became her father and she went from outcast and she went from being called a woman in the Bible to being called daughter. Like he called her daughter and it was immediate. Like his love is just immediate. He is immediate. He healed her immediately. It took me crying out like an honest prayer to God and opening my heart and having a faith that this is the this is it you know i don't have another chance in me for him to be an immediate and say okay it's done you're healed right now i've been stopped here i am i'm working through you i'm gonna give it all to you and that's like my fate like because that's me like i'm her like i i'm the woman with the with the issue with you know the the 12 years of just and no there's no help and there's nobody that can help me anymore and and he is it. Like that's the answer. It's, it's Jesus. You just got to get to him. You just got to get with him. You just have to feel. And then now I'm his daughter. You know, I went from the homeless drug addict to daughter to the king in an instant. <laughs> Amen. Well, friends, the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah in chapter one, verse four and NLT saying, I knew you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart and I appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And in verses seven and eight, he says, don't say I'm too young for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. And don't be afraid of the people for I will be with you and will protect you. I, the Lord have spoken. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He says a similar thing to each of us and to Allison. He knew us before we were born. 
He set each of us apart and appointed us for a purpose. He will empower and protect you as you fulfill that purpose. So don't try to use excuses about why you can't do it. Romans 8.11 reveals that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. If you believe in Jesus as Lord and have committed your life to him, what more could we possibly need? Allison shared a few minutes ago about God calling her to bold obedience, immediate obedience. And it's the same call he has for each of us. I understand the word obedience has a negative connotation in many of our minds, but in my journey with God, I have discovered that obedience is simply walking in step with him, doing what we see him doing when he's doing it. And that, my friend, is not a burden. It's a delight to walk in step with our living father. Allison, would you take a moment and pray for our listeners? Absolutely. Father God, we just want to come to you in this moment, Lord, and we would just ask right now that the the people that are joining in, Lord, that you would just start to speak things to them, Lord, that they would just hear from you, that they would just hear your words, Lord, and that they would act immediately upon what it is that you want them to do, Lord, that their prayers would be touching heaven, that your that your warmth, that your touch would wrap your arms around somebody who's in need of your comfort and your love, Jesus, that they would just feel it from you right now, that you would just continue to speak things to them, Lord, and just give them the courage to carry out your will. We just want to ask that you continue to guide and protect, Lord, that you would just break off generational curses, Lord, that anybody who's listening in right now that's saying that, I don't know if my prayer is being heard, that you would just let them know that their prayer is being heard, Lord, that you are working it out, that you work all things in your favor for your glory, Lord, that they will see it. They might not see it right now, Jesus, but they will see it. And we would just ask that you would just continue to guide each and every one of us on our walk with you, Lord. I just want to thank you for these moments to be able to um, press in deeper with you, God. And we would just ask that you would just care for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, friends, there are orphans as well as widows all over the world who need to experience the tangible expression of God's love right now. And together, we are building an indoor bathroom and shower for a girl's home in rural Kenya. The foundation's been laid and the building has begun. So please pray that the construction will be done expertly with no delays. And if you haven't done so yet, would you consider joining us with a special gift to help widows and orphans through our fund? Just go to hergodstory.org and click on the Widow and Orphan tab at the top of the page. Thank you for tuning in. In our show notes at hergodstory.org, you'll find scriptures and other information we talked about. And remember, I'd love to hear from you. So please email me at hergodstory at somebodycares.org. If you'd like a free six-week devotional on women of the Bible, you can download that at hergodstory.org or purchase a 12-week devotional that we'll send you for just $12. Knowing all the proceeds go to our Widow and Orphan Fund. We'd love to pray for you on our 24-7 prayer and text line. So give us a call or text anytime at 855-459-CARE or email us at prayer at somebodycares.org. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing adapted from 1 Chronicles 22, verses 11 through 13. May the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his leading. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey all his precepts and commands. For you will be successful if you carefully follow them. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. May the Lord be with you wherever you go.
Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.